Radio by Jack Roberts. If you've tuned in, it means you are driven to deepen your knowledge of business, entrepreneurship, health, fitness, and so much more. It is my mission to make a positive impact in the lives of those listening by providing insights into the world of high-performance people. Our guest this week is Josh Telford. Josh graduated from Monash University with a Bachelor of Business and Economics and went on to start Slide, a nightlife application where he successfully raised capital and built a market-leading offering that launched early this year. Josh is now working on his second business, a digital menu application, Nom Nom, whilst running operations for Slide. Welcome to radio, Josh. G'day, Jack. Thanks for having me. We can start at the beginning of our journey together, Josh, which was at high school at Yarra Valley Grammar in the outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Post-school, we took different directions, I guess you could say. Take me through your journey to date and where you are now. Yeah, I guess, um, yeah, throwback throw back to the old high school days, uh, Yarra Valley Grammar, um, what a time. Um, but yeah, I guess post-high post school, yeah, I, I went on to Monash University to study um, commerce economics. I did a uh, finance major. I also did a psychology major as well. Um, yeah, I guess the, the things that sort of out over the uni journey were probably like I sort of had a love-hate relationship with uni, I guess. Um, it was it was a very good experience in terms of what you're able to get out of it. But I guess for me, um, I had this hunger and drive for, you know, something, something bigger, um, something that has, you know, a bit more personal purpose behind it. And I guess how that that that's where I've ended up um, with my own business now. So, yeah, I think you know, obviously had different experiences. We actually worked at the same company, even though at different times along the way in the property sector as well. Correct. Um, yeah. So, a lot of different different things, but yeah, what really stood out was yeah, I guess the moment committing to to going on your own path and um and doing my own thing. So before we get on to uh, onto slide, which I'll sort of take everyone through in a moment, but uh, what would probably the, I guess you talk about studying um, sort of finance, economics, a uh, bit of psychology in there as well. Um, what was sort of the biggest transition between wrapping your head around entrepreneurship and the journey you're about to sort of undertake um, versus sort of what you'd study? Obviously, there's a little bit of lap over um, there, but also completely different things as well. Yeah, I, I guess the, the interesting thing there is that, you know, entrepreneurship to a certain extent sort of can't be taught. Um, you know, you can teach people to think in a certain way, but I guess, you know, the whole process, depending on what you're trying to do, you also have to learn for yourself and get guided by others a little bit. So I think that was that was sort of a big transition in terms of what's coming from a really structured environment in, um, in uni and then working as a, you know, as an analyst, you've got, you know, heaps of people above you, um, that are telling you what to do and how do you structure your day and, you know, what tasks you're doing um, and moving away from that to, you know, a blank canvas, I guess, so to speak. Um, yeah, that was the, the transition. Um, and, yeah, self-discipline in terms of being able to, you know, there's no one watching over you. It's time to, you know, you've got to pull your own finger out and get the job done. I think that's a great quote, What you, the part you open with, entrepreneurship can't be taught. Um, 
I guess uh, we're going to speak a little bit later about mentors and the like of that, but it's really something I know personally I've found it's sort of something that it's almost um, driven from the intuition. You sort of have to back yourself in and and know that you're going in the right direction because there's almost, um, you know, there is literally no safety net often, but I, I think probably, you know, if I can speak from my experience along the way, um, sometimes you can listen to all of the advice and it just makes you more confused than what you were sort of when you started. Um, h- how did you sort of find that uh, that evolved when you sort of announced to family and friends and the like that you were going to do your own thing? I'm sure you got a few words of wisdom and, uh, you know, a little bit of advice along the way. Yeah, I guess um, y- you get so many different opinions and I think that's that's just part of it. I mean, in the early days, especially when you're, you haven't been through this before and you're changing how you kind of see things. I personally did, you know, I did care about a lot of what those people close to me thought. Um, And, you know, that's, you know, you have to go through this process of dealing with, you know, dealing with the rejection from not only like, I guess, in the business sense, but from the people around you who are not going to be supportive of you. But I think it's important to just surround yourself with the people that are going to support you. Um, and build that sort of, you know, core team in your inner circle around you um, because that's going to help you, you know, keep you going along the way. I think the other thing that, as I'm sure you know, is when other people have opinions around what you're doing, um, it's about learning to evaluate feedback. So, you know, a lot of times you go to different people for advice um, and a lot of the times, especially at the start, I was taking all of the advice of what people were saying um, but as you move forward, you learn to go, you learn to evaluate that feedback a bit better and you learn to make your own judgments because it is your business, it's your product or whatever you're selling. Um, you know, you, you're you the best person to make those decisions if you, you know, you put the time into understanding the market, etc. A hundred percent. I completely agree with you. I guess one of the, um, a similar sentiment I can share is there's a lot of people, um, there's a lot of people in the real estate industry that are, you know, acting like trusted advisors um, to, you know, to their clients, but themselves actually don't have any skin in the game. They're, you know, they're renting a two-bedroom apartment um, and they're not actually the ones sitting there making hard financial decisions with their own assets. I think there's a lot of interplay between that side of things where there's a lot of jobs you can get a qualification um you know, whether you're a lawyer or a doctor um, and you can walk into a firm and as I guess a, a custodian of that, that firm's brand, you're taught how to give advice um, to a client regardless of your own personal situation. I think entrepreneurship um, in so many ways um, is you, you don't have the luxury of falling back on, oh, this company has 50 years experience or 60 years experience. You really have to back yourself in to make the right judgment calls on every single issue and it's literally your it's your skin in the game um you you make the wrong call and you very very quickly find yourself in a difficult position um i guess to roll straight on you touched a little bit sort of on your support network and and the like of that um i know i'm very familiar with your co-founder at slide um because we also went to school together but um take me through sort of the partners at slide and and the narrative behind the business how sort of things came to fruition after university yeah i guess um so to give you like real real early days so yeah jordan the other founder of slide um we've been best mates since we're about five so we went uh primary school high school uni together um so initially the whole idea was born 
um, born in our carpool rides on the way to uni. Um, so originally the concept of Slide, which as you touched on, um, is a nightlife app. It essentially allows you to book um, book tickets, um, book bottle service and sign up to guest lists at nightclubs and bars. Pretty much a, a destination for all things nightlife to show you um, what's on and where to go. Um, but initially the concept started around um, queue skipping. So as everyone would be familiar with and as you would be as well, is the nightclub industry, you know, sometimes if you're arriving at, you know, 11 o'clock, you have to line up for 45 minutes to an hour to to get in. And during that time, like I'd been doing economics, I've been doing um, game theory and a bit around like queuing as being a really, a real um, economic efficiency as in, it's, as in it's like whoever's willing to give the most time to line up, um, they're the ones who are going to get in. So um, I was really fascinated with the way that we had to line up for 45 minutes and we couldn't, we couldn't work out, I guess, at the start, why there was so much resistance in terms of, you know, this whole process. It seems like a pretty straightforward thing. Everyone just goes in. Um, but as we sort of delved deeper, we found there's a lot of inefficiencies in the nightclub space that um, I guess you can, that customers experience on a night night to night basis. So the whole booking process around booking a bottle bottle service package, you have to email one specific promoter or a, a venue on Facebook back and forth, you know, ten to fifteen times to actually get a booking. When the venue really knows what it's going to offer the client, and the customer knows what it wants. Um, if it's fine for a birthday, you know, it's like I want a booth with my mates, you know, I want some vodka, I want some shots. Like, it's a pretty easy thing. So. I guess what we what we kind of landed on was a was an app where you know all things nightlife can kind of bridge the gap between the customers and the venues um, by providing a platform for venues to sell more you know high ticket offers of the like. Um, but yeah, just give customers the night out that they're really looking for. Um, I guess we wanted a higher purpose for something that where we can make a an impact in you know with the people around us um, that everyone deserves to have a good night and access to that you know building nights that you talk about for years you know so you know in your 50s you go how good was that you know that night out at so and so you know these are memories and shared experiences that are that you know that you could have access to on demand through something like slide i think it's really uh very interesting that you touch on obviously the um the higher purpose element how much of that was a consideration um for you I guess, as you worked through uh, the initial stages, you realized there was probably an appetite for the product. You know, you spoke about the inefficiencies in the business. Um, at what stage did the higher purpose really start playing out for you? How, how, you know, I guess, how does that drive you on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so I guess on the, on the you know, the higher purpose thing, you know, moving, it sort of happened quite slowly at the start as well. So it was a series of conversations where, you know, we were talking on the way on the way to uni about what we could do and how we could do it. And, oh, if, there should be an app for this already. Like, why is there nothing in the market? Um, but as you sort of go in deeper, I think the high purpose point was really when you had to put some, again, how we're talking about skin in the game before. So we paid, you know, we dropped 10 grand each into building a prototype, um, to this first version around the, the queue skipping. And I think when you're forced to put your skin in the game, you kind of consider, you know, the decision that you're making. Um, and when we sort of considered it, it was that building this kind of business could give you something that would be very rewarding in terms of, you know, giving people a good shared experiences, but creating something, you know, for yourself. 
Um, so I guess when, yeah, when it comes to putting your skin in the game, that's when you start to consider, um, you know, what, what the purpose is around what you're doing and why you're doing it. And I think that just continued to evolve over the last few years. How important do you think it is for, I guess, younger entrepreneurs, um, someone in a similar situation to yourself, you know, rewind a few years ago, um, how important do you think it is for them to be, whether it's saving up grand, five grand, 10 grand, um, and sort of, I guess, really beta testing the ideas they have, putting skin in the game, trying it out versus sort of waiting for the, you know, quote unquote, perfect idea. Yeah, I think like, and I can't stress this enough, if it's one sort of thing that I want to probably, you know, say on here is that you can't afford to not invest in yourself. Like I think so many people along the way talk about, oh, I don't have time to do that course. I don't have time to do that business or whatever it is that is that, that you know, that financial or time outlay as well. Um, but you can't afford not to do that. Um, just because of the matter of, you know, you know, 30, 30 years down the track, that's a massive regret that, you know, that I know a lot of people, especially as I'm sure you have as well, you know, talking to older people who have, who have been through that, who have been through a corporate career for 30 years and said, Oh, you know what? I wish, I wish I did that thing in my twenties, whatever, whatever it is. Um, And, you know, for me personally, that took, that took a fair bit of breaking down to get to that point. I mean, I was always adamant like in high school that, I was going to do something for 10 years, go into consultancy or go into, you know, investment banking. And then 10 years later, I'd break, you know, I'd break out and do my own thing then. But, you know, as you sort of just to kind of play with these ideas of, you know, a business or a skill or a course or whatever it is, um, you begin to realize that it just takes just giving yourself permission to go and do that and that you really can't afford not to do that. I think a really interesting part of the narrative, and I'd love to get your thoughts on it, um, but for myself, um, I've recently, you know, I'll turn 25 this year, um, and I've very, very recently sort of over Christmas started to really fall in love with the idea of travelling a little bit more and spending a bit more time overseas and experiencing um, a few things that a lot of, I guess, our cohort and the people around us sort of everyone's jumping on a plane at uni, everyone's jumping on a plane when they get out of uni, uh, even post-school with gap years and the like of that, um, and sort of doing all of this travelling. Um, and I was probably, at the time, it just didn't really appeal to me. Um, and I probably went the other way and took that money and really tried to invest it back into myself. And I guess it's gotten to a point now where I have a lot of clarity about the things I want to do and the direction that I want to go. Um, and now I've actually, well, in the process of being able to create that wealth where I can start to have the freedom to travel where I want, when I want, um, which is great, uh, versus the people that sort of went and did it early whilst they're investing in themselves, I guess, culturally and, and experience wise, I think there's a really important, um, piece of the puzzle there's a kid sitting out there somewhere that's looking at all of the Instagram posts around them from travel bloggers, their friends um, and the like, and that sort of piece isn't really connecting with them. And they're going, hang on, I just want to do my uni or I want to finish my school and I want to get hands on. And I really want to learn and work out sort of what my life's about because I'm a bit confused. I sort of don't have that, that drive to go and do the things that everyone else does. I guess, do you, would you sort of say that investing in yourself piece, it, it's really a personal thing. It's about working out, okay, what do you want to invest in? Is it travel? Or if that isn't your calling, actually following your intuition and going, all right, I'm going to give it a crack and, and go and do two or three businesses in the next five years. Um, and then it, you know, 
23, I'm going to go, okay, great. Now I can go and travel. Now I can go and do A, B, and C if that appeals to you then. Yeah, no, for sure. I definitely have the similar, the kind of thing. I mean, I've done, I've done a bit of travel with, you know, family over the, the, you know, the younger years, et cetera, you know, did, did a boys trip to Thailand, a few different things like that, but I haven't done, you know, a big massive, you know, European trip or American trip or, you know, some of those things that other people have. I think it is kind of a, everyone has their own personal journey. I guess, you know, for some people that, that does seem really appealing. Um, for me personally, it was more about, um, how can I set my how, how can I set my life up here? So I'm in Melbourne. I'm living in Melbourne. I love Melbourne. I don't see myself moving away from here anytime soon. Um, but how can I set myself up really for a life that I want to create here? Um, and then yeah, being able to take the take the risk and you know do do something that you've always wanted to do, which for me has been start a business. Like I've always wanted to do that, and it's like well, you know, who's standing in the way of you getting started now, especially in this world of the the internet and you know access to content and courses and people and networking like there's nothing really stopping anyone in our you know our generation doing anything that they you know they want to do and if it doesn't work you wake up and like you say if if for some reason my two businesses were to to burn and crush overnight um i'd wake up i'd be 24 um and i'd still have you know x number of years ahead of me to to do that. So I think it starts with also people realizing just how young they are and just how much time I guess they have. Um, but at the same time, in the same sentence, you know, using that time wisely and doing what you want to do, I think is really important. I'm going to go a slightly different direction whilst we're on this topic. Um, I obviously have the pleasure of knowing you relatively personally. Um, your father is quite a successful business person, I guess you could say, um, and runs a, a very, very large I guess, mechanical, mechanical engineering company. Um, how much have you found that sort of seeing your dad's career unfold in front of you um, and sort of being able to be close to that helped you make some of these decisions, I guess, around wanting to create a life, um, you know, wanting to create a life in Melbourne or wherever you're going to base yourself in the world, but from sort of, I guess, day one, knowing that that was the end goal, that that was the vision and all of these other things could sort of, not not be not wait, but just be pushed to the side for a little bit, and that you had that time. Yeah, so I guess I guess he has played a, a pretty big role in you know my development and my upbringing. So yeah, so managing director of a company called AG Coombe, so um, air conditioning, fire protection, building services, um, a lot of large you know large scale um, commercial stuff. Um, so around 800 people, I mean, when you see someone who's, you know, working with, you, you live and breathe around someone who's building a company like that with that many people, you do kind of tap on and go, hey, you know, you can create an amazing culture with an amazing group of people in your own company. I think that's something that's that's really resonated with me is just around people and culture and being able to create something like that where, you know, you're giving people something that they really enjoy, you know, rocking up to nine to five, five days a week, six days a week, you know, in some circumstances. Um, so, yeah, that's been a really big a really big part in, in my life. Um, yeah, I think from a personal point of view as well, just being able to tap into, you know, how things work at a, at a larger scale and keeping that in mind for scaling your company, but also like remaining small and agile and being able to, you know, make quick decisions and things of that nature has been, yeah, I guess a really big part of 
why I want to do it as well. You know, you've seen what's when you see what someone's able to create like that at a personal level, um, it does resonate with you being able to create something for yourself, I guess. I think that you touched on you know, a couple of really, really important points there. I guess people was um, probably one of the things that I, I personally, I feel a real affinity to as well. Once you work in a business with a great culture or you, even when you leave a business and there's people that you keep in touch with after, after moving on and you realize that um, I guess work, for people, one of my sort of missions in life, and when I look at the businesses um, that I'm creating at the moment, it's around not really giving people a workplace, but rather giving them another pillar um, in their life that they can enjoy, thrive, and and really flourish in, um, in whatever way I guess as much or as little as they want. Um, I understand that not every person on this planet's going to want to work 80 hours a week. Um, not every person on the planet's going to want to be an entrepreneur and start their business but I think really around people it's about looking for people that are regardless of whatever role they choose that they want to play in a business um, that they get I guess an equal amount whilst they get a paycheck they should also get a reward from the business for working there and contributing their time Um, and it seems as though that's sort of the kind of thing that you've learnt from you, you know your father's experience in business seeing how if you reward guys with a great culture and somewhere they want to be, in return, you end up growing, uh, you know, a huge business that you literally couldn't have done without the teamwork. Yeah, definitely. And just just on that as well, in terms of like a good culture, like a good culture provides skin in the game for people as well, you know, to that extent and what we were talking about before in that like, you know, if you've got the people around you who you care about working for and you care about preserving that culture, that, you know, not preserving that culture or not working hard in line with those values or, you know, of the company, you know, does impact your ability to, to motivate. So, like, on the on my dad's side as well, they converted to a, a an employee share plan model in, you know, in 2008, so right in the middle of the GFC, which is, this taught me a lot, actually, about, you know, you got – a lot you got a lot of shares moved from the old owners of the company towards employees. So in an employee share plan where they were able to buy in and then he took on extra equity as risk as well. Which for me at the time, when you look at the world falling apart in terms of the GFC and you go, here's someone who's taking on taking on more risk at this time, standing up for the company, encouraging others to take on more risk. Um, and they were able to, you know, scale throughout Australia during that time. So it just shows you the power of being able to, you know, buy into culture um, and yeah, have that, have that skin in the game, um, is important. Not only at that, at that corporate level as well, but also in the startup world. I completely agree with you. I think one of the most common, um, one of the most common things I see, um, when I'm working with clients and, um, it, it's a very interesting interplay. You can be sitting in a meeting with a director of a business, um, and they've got an assistant next to them. The assistant's getting paid somewhere between 45000 and maybe $60,000 Australian. Um, and the director of the business is almost expecting the same level of intensity and work ethic of their assistant as they are of themselves. And I can't help but think, I guess, through my journey, as I'd look at these people, I'm like, well, hang on, you've got, you own 50% of this company or 80% of the company or even 10% of the company. Um, the rewards for you performing are significantly more um, than your employees. And I think it really becomes, 
I guess when, when you look at business in the future, I think that hearing about that employee share model, I think that's the way that we need to shift in order to re-motivate particularly younger generations, I guess, to maybe work a little bit harder. The reality is with the internet and everything, you're the best person to talk to about it in the application space. Um, there's kids out there that can make 200 grand a year from their bedroom with a laptop. Um, what is the incentive to go into corporate? Um, and I think that looking at how um, the established model has worked for so long, which is it's a privilege to work here. Um, you do your time, you pay your dues, and then you're sort of invited within the club. I think there's sort of a little bit of strain being placed on that model now. And I guess as we work through, while we're recording this in the middle of what seems to be um, an economic crisis, probably of the likes of 2008, it'd be very interesting to see how things evolve with homeworking um, and lifestyle really being an important part of people's, I guess, work in the future. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, you know, like we touched on as well as anything is possible from your laptop, essentially, you know, we're in the age where you can, you can drop ship anything, you know, you could go and learn how to code over, you know, over a series of weeks and come up with an app or, you know, whatever it is, you know, we have those, we have those opportunities now. And yeah, and as we said, like, you can't, you can't afford not to do that because, you know, it's times like these where, you know, people are going to look back on this, this time and go, you know, how did I spend that month when I was locked up at home and I wasn't able to do anything? Like, did you did you spend that time wisely? I think we've got massive, massive, massive upside to come out of this in terms of what we're able to do as a collective society, but also on like an individual purpose level and being able to build and create the things that, you know, that we haven't had time to do because we've been too busy working in our, you know, in our jobs. So, so, yeah, it's a really interesting I think you touched on a couple of great things around purpose and the like of that, which we will come back to in a minute. I'll, let's switch back to slide for a second. Um, you spoke about coding just briefly um, before. That, for me, I know if <laughs> yeah. I was sitting down and looking at an application, that would be the thing that scared me the most about it. What was the most difficult step yeah. for you in establishing slide? Was it, you know, I, I know you went and raised capital. I know you put together prototypes, obviously the coding dealing with you know app developers what what was the hardest part it's funny you mentioned the the coding thing because personally like at the start like we so neither even though jordan my co-founder is uh, engineering based he didn't have much skills in coding either so when we first kind of came up with the idea it was like well how are we going to, how are we going to do this? Like, what are we, how are we actually going to do it? So we ended up getting, getting the prototype made through a, through a company based in Melbourne um, called Piper, but they have a, an offshore office in Romania. So that's where the, the prototype got developed. Um, they were really good. I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of, a lot of, um, I guess it's, it's not really a bad thing, but around the Australian startup space, there's a lot of emphasis on companies having a technical co-founder. Um, and that you can't do things um, without a technical co-founder who can't code or, you know, has that capability. Um, you know, we got turned down by countless people for capital just because none of us could actually build build the app. Um, so that, that in itself was probably pretty difficult. I, I probably would say that, you know, raising capital was the, the most difficult thing, um, probably along with getting traction, like, before the app was built. So that whole phase, like, I guess... Raising capital is not for every every business, um, especially this such an early stage. Um, you know, you've got to pick the right deal structure for you and your business and your investors, depending on who they are. Um, 
but yeah, that whole notion of raising capital, like there were, there were people that are invested in our business now that, that I followed up for 10 months in terms of like it took 10 months to get some of these deals over the line. So, you know, we started raising capital in August of 2018 and probably took our last, like our last amount of funding probably a year later. So it's a, it's a massive process. It's a massive commitment. Like it, it takes you out of your business effectively for, you know, for six months because you're just focused on trying to get the money. Um, that being said, though, there's certain businesses that can benefit from that, such as ours, in terms of like our emphasis is focusing on building a really good product for the customers and for the venue so that they can use it. Um, and then we have cash to burn in a sense that we can, you know, focus on user acquisition, building a really good product um, until we have to worry about, you know, our bottom line essentially in terms of break-even point. So, yeah, but definitely the whole raising raising capital, as I'm sure you know, man, when you've done – you know, you've got deals that just that just don't go through, but you know, you just feel like they're going to keep going. And you know, the art of the close, you know, in the follow up, as I'm sure you've experienced as well, like you, you can never follow up too many times. <laughs> I guess um, I read a book recently um, by Chris Voss, who uh, was the head uh, FBI hostage negotiator, um, and I guess one of his headline quotes is "Every everything in life is a negotiation," um, and I think often we can be prepared. Uh, obviously with your your background and your education and the work you've done in in the property sector you probably understood the hurdles that you had to jump through uh, jump over and the hoops you had to jump through I should say um, to get the capital I guess probably the thing that uh, that formal education didn't give you is sort of the sales training the negotiation Um, that was probably a whole world that you had to sort of explore on the run yeah, definitely. Um, so I don't, you're probably familiar with Grant yes. Cardone, I'm sure. Yeah, so he, I, like massive impact on just like, you know, I think, I'm pretty sure I read I read probably four of his books in terms of um, like what, Sell or Be Sold, 10X Rule. Um, yeah, so many books around, you know, sales training, et cetera, just because, you know, it wasn't something that was in my skill set. So I've been in, you know, customer service and working in restaurants and you, you'd done like, you know, little upsells here and there and you'd learn the kind of people skills along the way. But in terms of closing a deal, like you actually, you have to, you have to learn, learn that skill to a certain extent um, because you almost have to, you have to know how to ask for the close. Um, as I'm sure I'm sure you're aware of as well, because if you don't ask, if you don't ask for the clothes, you're not going to get it. So there was one time I remember we were talking to investors specifically, um, you know, had done quite a large sort of business um, that he ended up selling for upwards of 60 million. Um, and we, I've been talking to him like ongoing, like knew him through a personal connection. Um, but one day I remember sitting at my computer and just going, do you know what? I'm actually just going to ask him for the clothes. I'm like, and so ended up asking, he ended up putting in money and it's like, you just, if you don't ask, you know, you don't very get. Good quote. I guess it's a, um, it can be a bit of a cliche at times in business, but one of the, uh, it's been one of the most important skill sets I've seen. Um, I've seen people far less educated um, than you, far less, I guess, even if they did an IQ test or some general test of intelligence, um, you know, far less intelligent than even a majority of the population, but they can close because they sit down, they look people in the eye and they ask them for the business. Um, and there's a lot of people that walk in there and they've got the best, you know, the best presentation. Their presentation skills are on point. They're flicking through slides on the PowerPoint. They know every technical part of what they're selling. And then they get to the end of it and they go, okay, so thanks guys. Have a think about it and let me know. 
And as soon as they walk out of the door, there's no letting you know <laughs> happen. Everyone goes back to their busy life. Yeah. They're getting pitched yeah. by, you know, some of these big, big capital players. You know, you're talking to a guy that sold a business for $60 million. I can only imagine how many people are pitching this guy on a, on a weekly basis, maybe even a daily basis. Um, they, uh, people actually don't have the capacity to go away and sit down with all of the other things in their life and go, oh, actually, that guy I met at, at 12 o'clock today, he was really good. He was really on point. But the guy at 4 o'clock that walked in and said, this is what we do, this is who we are, and then asked for the business was the one that got the deal. Um, and I think that's it's a very, you know, a very simplistic quote in saying, you know, if you don't ask, you shall not receive. Um, but I think so many times in life, in, in everything as well, personal relationships uh, with your family, romantic partners, um, all of those things, communication is such an important skill set. And actually being able to get your message across and ask for what you want, I think is something that a lot of people struggle with. Um, and I, I think that some of the sales training literature actually has such a dramatic impact on people's personal lives um, that what you got out of reading four books from Grant Cardone impacts you on so many levels outside of just your business. Yeah, no, for sure. And like, I think the other, the other side to that as well is, you know, learning, learning whilst doing and learning in the process of, you know, going through these, these pitch sessions. Um, You know, I learned something, you know, really massive went up and, you know, when pitched a, a venture fund in Sydney, like flew up specifically for the day because I was like, all right, you know, this is a massive opportunity. I just got to go. Like it's going to cost me a bit, but you know, whatever. Um, went up and pitched. I actually got like, you know, pretty much 15 seconds into the meeting, like into my pitch deck and I froze. And like, you know, previously I would have looked back, looked at that and gone, oh my, like I would have, you know, been drowning in the shame being like, oh my God, I froze on this one moment where I had to, you know, had to get up and do my thing. But you learn so much about yourself during the, the process as well. And it's one of those things that, you know, you're not expected to be able to have that skill like straight away. Like you have to go through and pitch so many people and do so many sales calls, et cetera, as you know, as well, um, you know, in order to get better. And I think that, you know, just focusing on that, you know, that level of self-awareness of when you're in those kinds of meetings where you're able to go, okay, well maybe next time I can, you know, approach this better or, you know, appeal to this need or, or do whatever, but yeah, it's the self-awareness and the focus of continually improving that skill. I, I was talking to a venture well. capital guy the other day who said, I don't invest, like flat out does not invest in someone that hasn't had a business that's failed before. Um, and I guess it comes back to, yeah. well, to Gary Vaynerchuk saying, who's an all-time angel investor, yeah. um, you don't bet on the horse, you bet on the jockey. Um, and I guess that moment that you're having in Sydney, that's you really having your, that, that's your coming of age. That's you becoming the jockey. And it doesn't really matter whether you've got the best horse or the worst horse. Now you're learning how to ride and you're learning how to, I don't know, you're learning how to whip it. You're learning how to get it to the finish line. Um, I don't know enough about horse racing to keep using yeah. that analogy, but um, I think that obviously, you know, failure is such an important part of the process. Um I guess looking back at obviously you gave us that one example lifetime wise, what are the other things that you sort of felt you've, you've failed at before, but have really in hindsight after you worked through the shame and, and everything have been your know, massive blessings for you. Um, yeah. So I guess, yeah. So it's, it's interesting. So we go back to uni days. So I, I actually failed three subjects at uni. Um, people who know me from school would know that that is absolutely not 
who I am as a person. Um, you know, I guess, you know, during that whole process, I, I did have like a massive fear of failure, failure, like during uni, like as in like, I've got to get the, you know, I've got to get the grades, I've got to do this so I can get the job so I can go and do, you know, so I can go and work, et cetera. Um, but yeah, failing those subjects and realizing that, you know what, it's actually okay. Um, was, it was massive for me. Like it, it just, you just, it just takes the weight off your shoulders because you, with so much pressure around like not failing and, you know, that you have to succeed and you have to do it right the first time you've, you know, live in this perfection, especially in this society where like, you know, a lot of people have got the perfection of Instagram and they see the highlights, like, you know, massive, massive, you know, um, upside from learning from your failures and accepting that that's okay because it actually doesn't matter. <laughs> like it just does not. It flat out does. It flat out does not matter. Like it's so funny. Me, me and Jordan talk about this all the time as well. It's just it just doesn't matter. Like and until you can escape that, like it's almost funny because people go, oh no, but it does. And until you can actually just escape that, you know, and live freely with what you're doing, um, yeah, you can do you can do anything if you you know. What would you do if you knew that you you couldn't fail? Um, and then that would be, well, do it anyway. I just think you know. the one thing that I've found through failure is when you obviously in the middle of the moment, you think the sun's not going to come up tomorrow. And then the next morning you wake up and you're breathing and your alarm's still going off and everything's still normal. And you're like, oh, okay, that's weird. Um, and then you actually come back to the table. <laughs> And I, Grant Cardone always talks about 10xing things, but I think that obviously the best ideas are a little, I always think a little bit crazy and a little bit ambitious. Um, if you look at the market and you go, oh, yeah. you know, um, Peruvian, I don't know, Peruvian fish are selling really good at the moment. I'm going to start a, you know, aquarium shop and, and sell fish, Right that's great. And that might be a great business model. I don't know anything about aquariums, but you know, these guys could be making bank. Um, but it's more the people that um, it's more the people that go, Oh, well, actually, would you think that people would buy their pet goldfish online? Right now that thought to me right now sounds completely foreign. Um, most people go to pet store, look at fish. Oh yeah, I want that one. They fish it out, they put it in the bag and they give it to you. But it's the people that come up with ludicrous ideas are often the ones that have been to the table before with a conservative idea. They're like, Oh, I'm just going to do a marketing agency or I'm just going to do this. I'm going to keep it really small and you know, I'll, I'll make a little bit. And then after you failed a few times, you sit down at the table and you know, you, you basically, you're trying to build the, the biggest company in the world um, sort of on day one, you sit down and you start seeing things a little bit more clearly. You go, okay, if we're doing marketing, what's everyone in the industry doing? They're all doing this. Well, we need, if they're all zigging, we need to zag. Um, and then it just becomes this, I guess, this snowball. But once you've failed, once you've failed, you're not obviously scared of failing anymore, but the ideas you actually have start to flow a little bit better and they start to sort of get bigger and you get to that. I think that perfect blend point between practicality because you failed before, you've probably lost something before. Um, you know that you're going to have skin in the game and you don't want to lose a heap of money. Um, but at the same time, if you think you've got a really unique idea, you sort of start to push the, push the boundaries a little bit about what's possible um, and you end up with a really good business. Yeah, definitely. Like on that as well, like so there's so many times where we've been – so originally like the, the Q-skipping idea, right? Like something that really frustrates me about the nightlife industry in the past and is part of the reason why we're doing what we're doing in the slide is that so many people who have gone and like tried to solve like, 
really like little problems that actually have no that have no interest in from the customer side. So there's for example like a bar tab splitting app. So there's one called Clip that used to exist a while ago. Um, and that the the motivation for a customer to download an app in order to like just split the tab, like set up a tab, do it and then, you know, and then split it and it's all happy and done is not is not there. Like there's so many different little apps that solve small problems. Um that venues aren't going to adopt that there's no, you know, there's no real pain point on their behalf. Um, so what kind of annoys me about the app space as well, to a certain extent is there's so many businesses who have the potential for massive upside in terms of the product, um, but they don't have a big enough vision. And like, I know a lot of startups are actually encouraged, you know, through lean canvas and these kinds of things to focus on an MVP and solve one particular problem. But something that I've experienced directly, especially with slide and now nom nom as well is that, you know, you, you don't have to build the Rolls Royce, but you've, you've got to have enough in the product for people to want to use it because you, you do only sometimes get one opportunity to appeal your brand to a customer and go, oh, is that something you want to use? Oh, nah. And then it's dismissed and it's like not followed up on. But yeah, just having enough in your product to go, oh, I can actually, you know, build a really good business out of this. Um, I think he's actually quite touching important. on something quickly about sort of that window. Um, one of the things I do regularly, probably once a quarter i go on the app store and i go into all the categories of apps that i'm interested in normally like you know health and fitness um the wellness categories um productivity photography things like that and i'll go in and i'll download you know 30 of the trending the top trending apps um and these will sit on my phone for about a month and i'll play around with them you know i've read the blog oh yeah that sounded great um i play around with a bit it's hard to use it's clunky it's whatever and i delete it and typically i find of the 20, 30 yep. apps I download, about one of them will stay on my phone and it will become a really, not really important thing, but I downloaded an app. Um, I downloaded an app last month called um, Breathwork, which um, is basically to do with, um, you know, there's a number of different, you know, breathwork exercises you can do on it, but it's breathing for any time in the day. So whether it's calming yourself down for bed, awakening yourself in the morning, um, they've got a heap of settings on there. Um, and I probably actually didn't use the app from when I downloaded it for two weeks. And then I finally got around to using it and I've used it twice a day ever since I logged onto it. Like they had that window. It's a very simple product. It's beautifully designed. Um, and as soon as I clicked on it, I was hooked. And I think that's really, particularly in your, in your space, you can have it where, yes, in principle, it sounds really good, but it's actually more of an inconvenience to use it. And then you just go, oh, you know what, I'll, I'll delete this. You know, what, why do I need it? Why do I need to skip the... Uh, there's a lot of apps that are skipping lines for coffee. Um, I'm not sure if people realise, but you can actually telephone the cafe um, and they'll make the coffee for you and you can walk in um, and you don't even have to log on to the app while you're driving your car to the office and you're, like, messing around, selecting your soy almond chai. Um, you literally call the barista and you're like, G'day, Joe, how are you? You have a human interaction and he makes you coffee. You walk in, you pay and you pick it up and you leave exactly like you would with the app, but just using what you've already got on your phone. Um, and I, it's the same when you use the, um, the tab splitting idea, when the person can split the tab on the FPOS machine, it sort of really negates the, I guess, negates the need for the product. However, if you can capture someone in that moment, like you're saying, they've just messaged 15 promoters at three different nightclubs trying to organize a, a bottle and they can't get a message back within three hours, yet they can log on to Slide and in 
you know, five minutes, they've bought and paid for everything they need for Saturday night, all of a sudden you've hooked them. Yeah, that's it, man. Like the hook is like a massive thing that, you know, we talk about as well, especially on the, the customer side. So our one of our products, so signing up to guest lists, which is really familiar to nightlife people is in, you know, you've got a promoter, he's got a list, you sign up, you get discount entry, you roll up, whatever. Um, you know, our kind of guest list offers that we're they're doing at the moment is like, is does include something like a drink or a shot or like a VIP entry. And we've made, we've made sure that we, you know, we talk to venues about trying to get a really good offer to hook customers in because it'll also help the venue. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's so important to be able to have actual value in your product that someone's going to, you know, someone's going to use. I think it's important to consider, you know, if you're in the target market, like you say, you know, you go on these apps and you, you work out what's good and what's not. It's, you really have to put yourself in the customer's shoes and go, all right, is the, is the pain point big enough or is the, is the hook big enough for me to be able to, for me to want to use this product? And, you know, I think, I think really a lot of the stuff we've sort question. of spoken about in the last couple of minutes has really been around, I guess, the pain points um, and what I guess differentiates a, a failure um, and a success um, what advice, I guess, if you had to break it down really simplistically, what would be the one point of advice you'd give to someone that was looking at building an application if you could go back to day one with slide? Yeah, so th- there's there's so much, man. Like the journey has been, you know, has been absolutely rollercoaster. There's so many, so many different points of advice um, that I would say. But like in terms of like applications specifically, it would definitely be get feedback. Like, I can't emphasize this enough when so many people I know have an idea and they're thinking about the idea, but they don't want to tell anyone about it. And they go around this whole I love this. like, oh, I've yeah. got to get an NDA for someone to sign for this idea, the idea that doesn't even exist yet, that someone could have an idea of the same thing. Like, I think so many, so many startup founders are really protective of their ideas in, you know, in every right where there's patents and there's IP, you definitely should be. Um, but you don't you don't get the feedback until you actually go to the market or you just go to people you know in your general network and say hey this is what I'm doing and get people to actually give you feedback and you know get your prototype like we did in the hands of customers and venues and etc like a lot of people pre product will not get feedback on their business because they they're too scared that it's going to ruin their chances in the long run like we got so many people that we spoke to like you know early on that you know weren't interested but as we you know as we built a brand for ourselves and we sort of built a brand around that and exposure like they came back and oh yeah no i love what you did with you know with this feature and this like getting feedback is so important because it's also going to save you time and money because if if you're not building a product that someone wants to use then you're just wasting your time everyone's time like i think that's like that's the main thing and then from like a business sense i guess is sort of the team and like getting a really good co-founder that, you know, you can trust. So even though you're so, you know, people protective their ideas, but don't be afraid to go and get someone that you're like, you're close to, or you think might be interested in doing something like this and offering them half the business to come in and do it. Like, you know, 50% of something that's worth a lot more is a lot more than hundred percent of nothing. So, so I I guess, obviously you spoke earlier about not having a CTO, um, on board, obviously you have a business partner, um, that has his own um, set of specialties that he brings to the table. Um, but I guess around splitting equity, really at the end of the day, you want to, you want to build out the best team um, behind the scenes. If you could go back and um, I guess start 
start from fresh with something, um, whether it's slide or an, another idea you had, what would be the key things you look for um, in finding a co-founder or a team member or the like of that? Yeah, so this is a good example. So Nom Nom, there's um, another one of us involved. So it's, um, it's our developer that we to develop slide with us. So he actually, uh, you know, approached us and said, I have this idea, like, would you boys like to be involved? Um, and so I think having that co-founder is like trust is very important. And like, for me personally, like I can only speak from experience having worked with, you know, with Jordan and known him for so long. Um, but yeah, having that, that trust element and really good energy and also just people that you do have like a, a common ground with and similar values. Like you don't have to be the, you know, you don't have to be the same person, but like having good common values and that you both are going to operate on is really important. And I think being honest with each other, like, you know, just being upfront in terms of how you want things to run, but taking your ego out of it. So that's been like a massive thing for us is like, you just, just take your, just leave your ego at the door when you walk into the office and that trust that if someone else is, you know, you're having a disagreement and someone, you know, thinks that something should be one way and the other thinks it should be the other, that you consider that you might be in the wrong. Um, and that, you know, just because I, I can't even, I can't even explain this enough. Like, you know, the amount of times where I've thought something was like so important and so, you know, so pivotal to the business. And then Jordan's got this different opinion of actually just let it, you know, let it go and put the trust that the other person, you know, does have something that they, you know, that they know about as well. I'm going um, to I touch on three yeah. points super quickly. Um, there's a book and I forget the author's name, but it's called Radical Candor. Um, and it's about basically if you respect, um, you respect any, any person in your life, whether it's family, friends, romantic partner, business partner, um, if you see them something, see them doing something that's disingenuous to their own sort of personal brand or reputation, what they're about, um, that you should be able to speak to them openly and honestly. Um, and you should be able to receive that feedback um, from your closest people without ego um, that being said, ego is a, is a whole other beast in itself to overcome. Um, and I, uh, you obviously, I know you read a lot, um, but The Power of Now um, and Eckhart Tolle's body of work is very, very interesting in, in so many mm. ways. And I actually encourage a lot of young people to uh, look at his work uh, because I think that he, um, although it's, it's very different, it's not a business book. In so many ways, it is a business book. Um, and being able to just live in the moment and then leave the ego at the door. Um, one of the concepts he talks about um, is sort of anti-energy, which is those negative sort of um, that depleted kind of feeling that you feel after you've had, I guess, an argument or a fight or something like that with a partner. Um, and he, he sort of said there's certain salespeople or certain people in any business that when they're dealing with a client and it's customer service, they're completely selfless. Um, you know, I know in, in, uh, in my previous jobs where I'm actively selling real estate um, and I meet someone and they say, oh, hey, um, do you mind sweeping up the house after people leave from the open for inspection? And, you know, I struggle to sweep up my house at home sometimes, but because it's the client, you do it, right? And you <laughs> yeah. drop the ego, you drop the bullshit, you leave it at the door, right? And you do what's best for the situation. And when you walk away, you walk away with your head held high. You feel good. You've done, you know, you've done the best of your ability. But often when we transition back into our personal lives, the ego can come back up and sort of become this roadblock. And 
someone will say, hey, do you mind uh, do you mind cleaning the bathroom? And it can be like, oh, but I cleaned it last week. And it's just completely, like, it's completely non-productive. And then you end up feeling crap after you've had the argument about the bathroom. Um, and I think there's so many lessons in his writing that yeah. just lap over into business so, so well. Um, the other thing that we touched on quickly was um, people having ideas. What is there, I think there's about 4.4 billion people on the earth at the moment. I'm willing to bet I reckon 2 million people had the idea for Uber before Uber was Uber. Um, there's a lot to be said for actually just <laughs> building the prototype, raising the capital and launching it to the market. Um, so I applaud you and Jordan for just you know really putting your skin in the game, putting... Um, putting your money where your mouth is and, and going for it. I think that's um, it's a massive part of business and I think it's testament to your success so far um, is with Slide and now with Nom Nom that you've got the idea, you test it in the marketplace and then you launch it. Yeah, that's it, man. Like, oh, I appreciate, appreciate those words, but it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I want to encourage people that it's, anyone can do it like one it's just one of those things that sometimes you do look it's like that that graph right or that that um that image of the the iceberg and you see you only see like that tip of the iceberg which is like success but you don't see all of the you know the other stuff that goes in underneath and i think that that sometimes takes away from the fact that you know everyone is out here you know building businesses or you know doing these kinds of things some of these people are just you know everyday people especially from an entrepreneurship sense like you've got I know so many young guys who, you know, so many young guys that didn't go to uni that, you know, and now, you know, have now have multi-million dollar businesses because they took the, they took the chance and they, they went after what they, what they wanted essentially and followed that passion. So, yeah, I mean, whilst raising capital and that, that whole notion is, you know, is not for every kind of business, you know, anyone can start with an idea because ideas just start as ideas and it's, you know, it's up to you and your vision. On a slightly different note, um, we obviously spoke a little bit about your um, the influence of your parents on your journey so far. Um, who have you sort of looked to as far as mentors and um, and people that have given you guidance on your journey? Um, and I guess what are the key things you've taken away from those people? Yeah, so I guess I guess for me, um, building that initial investor. Um, investor base was really important not from not from just a money sense but from a knowledge base as well so there is such thing as bad money as in you know that if it doesn't come with especially at the the seed stage that you know advice and money coming together is so much more valuable than the the money alone um so yeah really building around those um initial investors was really important so a lot of them are you know our family and friends and people that we got introduced through other people but you know, they're people who have, who have started businesses, who have started businesses and failed, you know, who are, you know, who are one of them's, you know, one of them's a coach, one of them's this. So it's, it's, for me, it was really important to kind of build that base. And I think they've all individually played a different role. Um, there's about 20 of them. So they've all kind of played their own different role in, you know, our own personal journey and business journey. Um, in terms of like specific advice, um, you know, have, close friends who have done development stuff who work you know as developers that have been really influential but also the people who we reached out to so hyper um helping us actually build the prototype in the first stage um techni who's the company who actually built the final version 
um, offshore. So Gordon, the founder of that, who we're involved in, Nom Nom Now, um, he's been really good. Um, you know, we also, I think something I would kind of say on this as well around mentors is that, you know, there are a lot of people doing, you know, different consultancy and different things. Um, and startups are kind of, I guess, encouraged not to spend money. Um, but, you know, paying for paying for expert advice, like I don't know what your opinion on this, I'd be really interested to hear as well, is I, I think that startups don't do I enough of that. set myself a little goal this year to read um, a book a week, so 52 books in the year, um, on a similar vein of thing, I guess, as paying for advice. Um, I don't have enough time in this life to make every single mistake and fail as much as other people. So if I can... If I can read a book and literally download someone's head, their thoughts on a particular topic into my brain, I think that's incredibly valuable. And I think the same yeah. thing with yeah. um, with paying for mentors. So, um, and also uh, personally, a big thing for me for mentors, I know a couple of people um, that have been great mentors to me. Um, it's actually, and they weren't paid, I should put in. Um, they just sort of saw me and said, oh, I really want to help this person. Yeah. Um, but I've actually now, um, I think it is an important part. It Maybe it's a, it's a karma kind of thing if you believe in a concept like that. But I, I just put together a deal with um, a guy that was yeah. foundational in, in getting my start um, in property that will make him a hell of a lot more money than what it will make me. Um, but that's the kind of, you know, that's the kind of relationship yeah. that I look for as well is people that you would want to end up in business with down the track. Um, on I guess paying again there's a lot of um, there's a lot of snake oil salesmen um, so you have to be a little bit careful but I think that mm. as long as as long as there's sort of testimonials and and I think the most important thing is that they've they've had a successful business before um, for me is is a big thing like if they've gone and done a three-day life coach training and now they're going to teach you how to make your life amazing. Like I'm probably not really sold. Um, whereas when Tony Robbins walks in and he's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a life coach. There's a little bit more credibility there. So uh, I guess as far as avoiding the trap of, you know, spending yeah. a heap of money with someone that has no idea, you have to really look for people. I also think not necessarily in your industry, like it can be, the cousin of your industry or close, they have to understand the problems you have, but also having an objective, yeah. um, an objective view of the market, the economy, what consumers want can really help business people sort of cut through within their own niche. Um, so I don't think you necessarily, like if you're going to go and build an app, you don't have to go and find someone that's built an app before, but, and if you're going to do e-com, you don't have to find someone that's done e-com before um, as long as you've got, you know, you need that technical experience in, in some senses. Um, but your mentor has to have an idea of if you're building a consumer product, they need to be in the consumer space. They need to understand how buyers are thinking, how sellers are thinking, um, you know, where are the pain points in any transaction because pretty much they're all very, very similar. And then it's about, you know, applying that framework to your niche. Um, so I think practical business experience is really the biggest the biggest indicator of someone's going to be a good mentor and whether they're worth the money you're going to pay them. Yeah, no, definitely. And like, I should like what I should have said before as well is it's not just about paying anyone for whatever it's going, you know, what, what are, what are my needs in terms of what skill do I need to improve or what does my business need? And then kind of going after that. And if you get to that point and there's a mentor and there's, you know, someone that, you know, is doing a 
something that requires you to, you know, pay for this course or pay for that book or, you know, do what it is, then don't be afraid to do that and invest in that. But I think you do have to, yeah, you do have to be careful of where you're doing that and what you're doing. Um, but yeah, just understanding the needs of yourself and your business. So one of the other ones, so um, Adam Edwards, who is the previous owner of Bond and Barack, I um, reached out to him for some guidance on in terms of how to approach the nightlife space. Um, and I ended up coming out with, um, he'd done some coaching um, also on like in the spirituality space as well. And I came out with some, you know, some really good skills that, you know, I didn't necessarily think I was going to get out of it going in. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the other thing as well is you, you, you don't know how much value people can add. And like, I think, especially in this, this people world. Um, yeah. Let's zoom in a little bit on definitely that, for that experience. Um, obviously business wise, um, I'm familiar with Adam. I know he brings a lot, um, a lot to the table. What were the things, I guess, on a personal sense, um, the, the value you sort of got out of it, um, out of that experience, I should say. Um, that really, I guess, then interplayed into you being able to take the business to another level. Yeah, so I think, I think, firstly, it was kind of, um, yeah, understanding, understanding your yourself, um, and where your, you know, where your downfalls are, and how you can work on, you know, building up those skills, but not necessarily um, focusing on things that you aren't good at. So, kind of building on what you are good at in a sense. Um, and then as well, in terms of the, from a business point of view, just on what, what the needs were for the venues and how they actually, how they actually operated and what, as a venue owner, what do you kind of look for in a, in a software product that you're going to adopt? So one of the interesting things was you, you realize just how much training um, and how big implementing, you know, implementing softwares is throughout any kind of business. Um, and really considering that, so I think what that allowed me to do is also consider the venue side in a lot more in a lot more detail and how to simplify that um, that process out a lot. Um, and then yeah, from a yeah, I guess jumping back to a, a personal point of view, just how important um, self awareness is and focusing on building yourself from the from the inside out and working through your own um, barriers and heuristics in your head that I'm going to push you a little bit what what was one of the barriers that you had to work through um so like even even though like even though I've you know I've committed to this path and doing things um you know for myself and etc one of the things that I did have still exist was that I had this belief that I was still too young um and that and that that took a fair bit to actually like break down. And it's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not too young to enjoy the successes of a business. Now I'm not too inexperienced. I'm not, you know, it's not like I don't have, you know, don't have some skills that can be applied or can be worked on or can be grown. So I think for me personally, that was like, that was something that I definitely broke down, but also like, as I know you're aware of as well, is like how important routine um, and your health is, in terms of being able to we'll dive into routine um, um, in our next little um, little half, I guess while we're just there on on the personal thing, I think the age age barrier is obviously something that's really confronting for both ends of the spectrum as well. Like I know people that are between sixty and and eighty, and they've got a great idea, but they're scared 
you know, that they're too old to do things. Um, I guess what were some of the kind of strategies mm. and techniques you used to overcome that, that barrier? Yeah, so I, I think, um, yep. like, positive affirmations and understanding, you know, how, what the, like, just being aware of that little voice in your head that's telling you you're, you're too old or you're, you know, you're too this or too young or too that. Um, and being aware of it and not judging it, but being aware of it and then kind of learning how to rephrase that in a positive way. So one of the really good things that I learned was like, so your brain can't actually think of something that doesn't exist. So for example, you say, if I tell you right oh, now, I'm already thinking think about a pink, a pink elephant. elephant, your brain yeah. will think <laughs> straight away. <laughs> we'll think of a pink elephant. So it's like, um, it, correct. So it's like, you can't think about, um, you know, framing things in a positive way that's like, oh, I don't want to fail. So thinking about don't want to fail, you're not thinking about not failing, you're thinking about failure. So that was massive. So when you when you learn to listen to that voice and reframe I guess that, what you're saying is the affirmation, and I use affirmations in, in my practice as well. The affirmation is not, I don't want to, I don't want to fail. It's, um, you know, I have the tools and the know-how to be truly successful. Yeah, that's it, and it, and it's just it's it's such a simple thing, but it does it does take practice. Um, but I think part of you know while we're talking about um personal related things, I think um I've been doing a lot yes. of reading of um I don't know if you've heard of Brene Brown, um and she's actually like a you know a vulnerability and shame expert, um, and so many people are so reluctant to show their vulnerabilities and show their failures and you know things that we've talked about before, you know even even for example, doing podcasts, et cetera, you know, you're tempted to, you know, re-record things and go, Oh no, I want to fix this or whatever. But, you know, oh, it's amazing what you, what you can do and how you can live freely once you understand that it's, it is actually genuinely okay to fail and it's genuinely okay to be vulnerable and to not have the skills like that. That is, you know, massively liberating in terms of, you know, you're then able to live freely and just, you know, just do what you want to do. Uh, I, I completely agree important. with you. And I think that the, the optics of social media, um, <laughs> two things, what, like if we're going to go to social media, it can be a yeah. very, a very big topic, but you mentioned the highlight reel thing before. Absolutely. There's a huge, you know, a huge percentage of the content on social media is, is highlights. Um, you know, everyone's life looks good when their, you know, their first post was at, the Eiffel Tower and their second post was the Coliseum. Um, you know, what they didn't show themselves was working, you know, 60 hours a week at Domino's to be able to, like, to be able to get there. Um, the glamorous part is, you know, very much glorified um, and the actual hard work isn't typically shown. Um, that being said, I don't know if you've noticed this as well on your feed, but I'm actually seeing a little bit of a shift. I think people are getting a bit, maybe it's the current, you know, the current climate in the world and everything that's going on with COVID-19. But I'm seeing people shifting away from, they are actually engaging more with authentic content and people that are putting up a video saying, hey, these are the things I'm struggling with and these are the things that I've overcome in the last couple of months than they are engaging with the posts that are like, um, you know, I did $200 million in sales this month, I'm a hero. Yeah, no, definitely. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm extremely, whilst this is a really um, 
I guess, distressing time for a lot of people, a lot of businesses, um, a lot of people's health and especially, you know, your loved ones and, you know, how that, you know, works in terms of the virus, et cetera. Um, but coming out of this, like, I think the world, as I said, I've said to you previously as well, I think the world's going to be a very, a very different place for, for the better as well. You know, I think, you know, if we're going to be walking around more authentic beings doing, you know, spending time doing what we love the most, um, yeah, I think we can really, as a society, like just raise our vibration as well as you talk about a bit about Eckhart Tolle and energy and et cetera. Um, yeah, what we have here is a massive opportunity to shift and continue Completely to agree with you in there. that, you know, authentic um, direction. Let's sort of break down your day. Um, what does your morning routine look like? Yeah, so... I'm I'm a firm believer in I'm I'm obsessed with routines and like it's it's borderline like some people listen to me and they're like what are you like what are you talking about, um but I really believe in like continually to refine your routine and how important that is to stay um grounded in the morning. So, um the first thing I actually do when I wake up is meditate. Um previously I used to do I've done like a double in a bit of meditation before, but as soon as I started meditating first thing in the morning, um that was really powerful. Um, you know, being able to, you know, just give yourself the time of, you know, even if it's just five minutes, if you can't do a full 20 minute meditation, to just sit there and just be with your breath and, you know, ease into the day and get clear on, clear your mind and get clear on, you know, where you want to go. So that's been, that's probably the first thing I do. Um, then I probably do a bit of, um, a bit of gratitude. So I write down five things that I'm grateful for. Um, and then I write down five positive affirmations, like we you, you write those. You write those in your well, journal. The affirmations. Um, yeah, so I write. I write five five um, things I'm grateful for. Five things. Um, five positive affirmations, and then I tend to do like a little bit, a little paragraph, just on like what my current thoughts are, um, and it kind of allows me to also like get rid of some of the negative thoughts if they are there and allows me to drop them onto a page How and long leave do you them there for? and then go would about my day. Sort of 15 minutes, um, 20 minutes, or is it a, as I would. that a sort of 30 minute plus kind of process? Yeah. Oh, it's probably a, it's probably a 10, 15 minute process. Um, if I'm, if I'm writing and I find I'm getting somewhere or it leads into an idea or something, um, I will continue to do it. Um, but yeah, it's ten, it tends to be a ten to ten. Perfect. To um, I um, obviously affirmations yeah. are a very very powerful thing to do in the morning. Um, I verbalize my affirmations. I don't know if it's something you do, but I have a, I have a written list, like a set list that I revise mm. when I feel I need to revise them. When I feel like one isn't serving me anymore, but I actually look in the mirror and I repeat those five times to myself, um, actually out aloud. So I, I know a lot of people do it inside their head. For me, it's really powerful when I make eye contact with myself in the mirror and I'm telling yeah. myself yeah. these are the things that I am or that I will be, I guess. But the whole idea is really convincing the mind that you are today and therefore you can, you know, perform to that level. Um, it's very interesting to hear that you, you know, get the same effect out of, out of writing them and having that connection. There's a lot of research about writing and, and linking things into the brain. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. The same, the same technique, just two different um, applications Meditation-wise, um, I, I meditate in 
the morning as well. I actually do um, I do my breath work now first thing because I, I struggle so hard to get out of bed. Um, and if I don't do my awakening breath work to wake up, um, <laughs> yeah. I, and then I come back to do my meditation <laughs> later. But do you use a guide or do you typically have some music or do you just sit in silence? I guess you know, the reason I go there is I think a lot of people want to meditate, but yeah. often they struggle with just starting. Um, you know, should I be doing a guide? Should I have music? Should I be sitting silent? What do I do with my hands? Um, how do you do it? What works best for you? Yeah, so I I have like a, a series of different things. I ha- I kind of have to have, I have to feel like I have to listen to something, whether it be guided or some kind of background music. Um, I think it just helps me, you know, get into that state um, quicker and better. Um, so yeah, I kind of have a different variety of things. I have some, some guided and then some that are just straight music. Um, but I think, I think it's about, it, it is a skill in itself. Like you do have to, you know, practice it and, and refine and what works for you. Like I think so many different things work for people. I know some people who can wake up, um, and then lay down doing it. I'm definitely like, I haven't got to that point yet because I definitely go straight back to sleep if I was to lie down whilst meditating. So I do kind of sit up and I keep my hands sort of, you know, in my lap. Um, but yeah, no, it, I think it's just about, I'd encourage anyone that is looking at doing meditation to at least try it and try a different number I of ways. I completely agree with that um, as well. There's a really good series um, on Spotify that I will, um, I'll link in the show notes. It's actually called um, Meditations, which is around people staying in their bed and meditating. I personally, I struggle to do it because I fall back asleep. Um, but it's just another way that you can do it where you literally, you turn your alarm <laughs> off, you roll over, you lay on top of the bed in your pillows, you're all comfy still, you put your headphones in and, um, you know, there's a guide that takes you through for 20, 25 minutes um, of things in your bed. I, I've done it. I have done it once. I got up and then I came back to bed and actually found that series very, very interesting. Just the slight, the slight changes almost add. Um, it keeps you intrigued about the practice and keeps you coming back by, by adding variation in there. Um, once you've done your meditation, then you work through your, obviously your journaling, your gratitude practice and your affirmations. What comes next? Yeah, so after I've done after I've done my journaling, I tend to um, either read or just continue writing. So if I'm if I'm reading something, I'm probably reading like a you know a short paragraph. I've actually got this um this book called Who Will Cry When You Die. Um, it's by Robin Sharma. It basically gives you a list of like a hundred things um, that'll help you live your you live your day and live your life at your fullest. So I kind of read a couple of those um, first off, just to kind of set the tone and remind myself to you know do something good for someone else or you know something like that. Um, and then after that, I kind of jump into, you know, my, my tasks and I look at, you know, what are the top sort of three things that need to get done um, today? So we've got um, Asana, which I don't know if you're familiar with, is a really good software for, for managing um, tasks and workflow. So I just downloaded that last, last month. It's one of the 30 apps I downloaded last month, which we were touching on before. Yeah. Um, I actually haven't tried it out yet. It's sitting there um, waiting to be used. But so you find good use out of that for scheduling your workflows? Yeah, definitely. So we've got like a different a different Asana board, if you will, for each area of the business. Um, it allows us to keep, you know, uh, keep task orientated on making sure that we are outputting and getting stuff done. Um, yeah, there's so many different softwares and stuff, and I've used you know a bunch of different things over the time, but really settled on Asana as something that you know that does help. And I think you know finding something like that for me personally, who does love tech. Um, something like that that can support your workflow that has everything in it um, 
it kind of gives it a one place to dive into as well. Um, as opposed to having, you know, messy to-do lists sort of everywhere. If I, if I'm going in there, I know I'm looking at, you know, holistically what we need to do as a business. Yep. Um, I guess that really flows into, to my next question, which was what does your, you know, what does your work day look like? What's nine to five or, you know, probably in your case, more like eight, eight till 9 PM, but what does it look like? Yeah. So I guess after we sort of dived in, I, t- I, we try and get, I try and get four work, four hours of work done, like pretty early in the morning so i've experimented with different times and as you depreciate working in nightlife your your sleep schedule does get a bit messed up here and there um in a world where i wouldn't be working nightlife i reckon i would be up you know at 4 30 sort of every day um but it tends to be more around sort of six o'clock so after i've done that kind of morning routine i kind of do four hours of work that we kind of set for ourselves the day before that is really task orientated most urgent things the most things that require the most energy as well um and get them out of the way and then i tend to take a break sort of around you know 11 or late morning to to do some exercise um and then sort of come back and get changed. So we tend to be not in the office um, till around, you know, 11, 12 o'clock. Um, I think it just allows us to get, you know, to get those things that you need to get done individually so that when we do come in, we kind of tend to have an hour sort of meeting around um, the business direction and what we need to do with whether it's the app, um, yeah, whether it's nom nom or whatever it is, we kind of go in and discuss that first because I find that really beneficial to be able to sit and discuss things once you've already done your work, your morning routine and your exercise, go in and then kind of get clarity on how you're going to handle the back half of the day. Um, I guess that's like a um, uh, sort of like an hour of power of collaboration. So it's everyone's done their work. You're all sort of up to date on the same page and then you're coming in and just putting the new ideas almost into the mixing pot for the rest of the day. Yeah, definitely. And then we try to reserve the afternoon for sort of meetings, um, like external meetings, sales calls and follow-ups as well. Um, and then sort of anything else urgent that needs to be tied down before, you know, before the end of the day. Because um, what we tend to try and get done is try and get things done, you know, before five, six o'clock. I don't tend to work, you know, really late into the evening um, just because either if it's nightlife, we're probably going out, networking, um, meeting different people, or if I'm not doing that, coming home, winding down, doing some learning, um, I find is really beneficial. So, um, yeah, just in terms of that kind of day structure, I definitely have an appreciation for people who are, you know, at this time working from home and that. And I would encourage people who, whose businesses and, you know, systems will allow it to, to work with routines that work for you personally um, and that you're going to get the most out of yourself with. I completely agree with that sentiment. I guess to come to the other end of the day, um, one of the big things that I think is overlooked in a lot of a lot of the literature um, is obviously when you're going 100, 150% the whole day um, and you get to the time when you're meant to go to bed, most people literally like log out of Instagram, like open the cover, light goes out and they just uh, sort of drop into bed. Um, obviously, you spoke about the nightlife and inconsistent sleep patterns. We know how important quality of sleep um, is for performance. Do you have any evening routines or or rituals that you sort of work around to get yourself, I guess, like unwinding out of the business mindset and back into personal life and then into bed? Yeah. So I think like on this, I don't have like a specific evening routine, which I know a lot of people do. And I know a lot of people benefit from, from having that structure around the bedtime and signaling yourself, signaling to your body that it is time to sleep. And I do think that that has, 
um, a massive impact on your ability to have quality sleep. Um, but I ensure like just that before I go to bed that I'm doing some kind of activity. So whether it's meditating, um, I actually sometimes listen, just listen to um, binaural beats. So like different brainwave, like sleep brainwave frequencies. To that's the, go off that's the, um, the name of the Spotify playlist, is yes. it not? Yes. Yeah. Um, I'll link and- I'll link that in the show notes for everyone. It's something that's saved in my um in my podcasts. Um, sorry, in my podcast in my playlist on Spotify as well. Um, I use that during the day actually. Yes. So yes, I, I find that's excellent during the day when you're just trying to concentrate and zone in. Um, but it's interesting. You find that quite almost therapeutic and and relaxing. Yeah. So yeah, because it tends to be because I've already I've also done a meditation during the day. So I don't necessarily do like a formal meditation, but I kind of do it as a a sort of wind down activity. The other really random thing, which is quite interesting, I actually watch a lot of um like David Attenborough related documentaries, um particularly at night. I know something people are just like what what is that? But I actually find it really relaxing to actually tune off with you know documentaries in relation to nature that can actually like it just allows you to tune out so it's not like watching a really intense tv series like someone went on netflix um but you're actually just like watching something that's not necessarily um intense but just kind of relaxing there's like so many of those documentaries on netflix that i could recommend (laughs) (laughs) i think it's a really i think it's a really cool thing you do and i think it touches a little bit on um probably like escapism to some senses like i think that a lot of people can look i I, i'm a huge believer that everyone needs escapism um all of everyone in the last probably you know when i was i was growing up and saying to move into the business world it was like this um this hustle kind of culture that you had to be using every single minute um i guess as we've shifted from that into this more wellness kind of generation um we've seen escapism sort of start to come back um i'm not I'm not a person that binges on Netflix, so I can't I can't recommend that, and I wouldn't recommend that to anyone. But I think what you're touching on with with something that sort of is still stimulating, um, but also allows you to to wind down and sort of switch off a bit and just go to another place is really important. I think a lot of people find that, you know, whether it's um, you know whether it's gaming consoles, whether it's Netflix. Um, one, one of the things that I, that's in my evening routine, I actually read, um, I'll read 30 minutes of fiction. So I Mm. like will buy a novel and I don't normally get through the novels that quickly because I only do 30 minutes a night. Like I'll get through a business book. If I sit down and I'm enjoying a business book, I'll go through it in, you know, in four or five hours in an evening and just sit down and read the whole thing. But I make sure that I transition my brain and sort of, I don't know, I also find opens up the creativity side of my brain as well when you're reading fiction and you're reading because obviously the storyline with a book is being, you know, you're imagining what's happening on the page. Um, so that's something that I find that I use in, in my routine, which I guess probably links to the, the similar thing with yours. You can have these super strict and super, um, I guess, uh, scientifically designed routines. I'm going to have my 10 minutes of meditation and then I'm going to do my breathing. I'm going to do this, but I think you have to have a bit of escapism in there or else you're actually not really unwinding, are you? Yeah, no, I think, I think that's important. I think the point yeah, around escapism as well is that it's, it's more about, I think this is like my opinion as well is about like, I guess not necessarily like escaping, but like it, it's like tuning into yourself. Um, 
And like, you know, like you say, like being in, being able to do a book and being present, like, you know, we talked about Eckhart Tolle before as well, and being present in that book and in that moment and in that activity is what I think is like the best parts of escapism is when you're in that, you are in that state where you are fully present, immersing yourself in whatever activity that is, then that has to be something that, you know, that you really enjoy that you're going to get um, a lot out of. Because I think... Um, like recreation, I think as someone said, it's like recreation involves like recreation. So it's about, you know, doing something that's, you know, that's going to boost your energy for the next day. I definitely, yeah, I definitely share that sentiment. I've never heard that, never heard that saying before, but I think it's a really good one. You, you want to, um, I guess people can think about escapism as almost leaving, you know, leaving, or like leaving your real life and stepping into this this other world, um, but in some senses that's actually the whole point of connecting to yourself and being present is that everything is calm and you are relaxed and every decision you know you're purely in the moment and that's how it should feel. I guess that escapism is a bit of a hack. I guess an easy way to get there um, when you're watching a documentary. I'm sure the only thing you're thinking about is you know whether the deer is going to get away from the tiger or whatever's on David Attenborough that night. It, it's yeah. all encompassing, just like a book is, or um, yeah. you know, a, a really good a really good playlist of whatever music someone likes can be you know can really take them to a place. Yeah, for sure. And I think just on like you say, people dropping from Instagram and straight into bed. Like I think we also we don't understand fully enough about how our brain processes things, you know, passively and subconsciously as well, Um, especially in relation to social media like that, you know, in terms of being able to what you're seeing and what you're consuming and being aware of the content you're consuming, not only at night, but also on a, you know, on a daily basis um, is really important. I guess the other thing while we're on, um, while we're on um, sleep, as well is I've actually I'm sure you, you've done a bit of this as well is tuned into things around blue light and like making sure that you know I've got f flux on my computer that you know reduces the blue light I've got a lamp now that you know has 0.4 percent blue light and yeah I'm finding that really improving the quality of my sleep do you do you do anything with blue light specifically I'm very in tune with this um mm. I'm very very close uh, my I'm the worst consumer for an e-commerce business because my process to getting me to buy a product is just ridiculously long. Like I want to research <laughs> every single thing in the marketplace yeah. before I buy it. Um, the, the, I'm the person that makes everyone's e-com conversions awful, um, but I'm so close to investing in um, in blue light blocking glasses. Um, yeah. There's so many different variants on the market. Um, there's a couple of brands that I've sort of narrowed down now that I'm getting pretty close. Um, the final two points that I'm, I'm sort of researching is there's clear frames, there's sort of clear lenses, and then there's the, the orange lenses, which um, yeah. there's, I guess, different scientific studies around the benefits of each. Um, but I, as far as what I can do and what I can control without going to the extreme of having glasses, um, the, I think it's called, is it called night mode on your phone? Um, I use that to, to dull my, my iPhone, um, the same with, um, with the flux app on your MacBook. It obviously reduces the, um, reduces the blue light admission from your screen. Um, I just bought a salt lamp, um, to replace my, um, to replace my bedside lamp. So when I'm reading, um, the salt lamp will go on, which is a nice, um, sort of red glow rather than the, the blue lights that I have, 
above my bed are LED lights, which obviously admit a lot of blue light. Um, I'm, I think that's really, really interesting in how, in how it plays out once we really fully start to understand what the blue light is doing to our body. Um, but have I noticed a big shift? Um, probably not. Um, the big thing that I've actually started implementing that's given me a really good, um, a really good sleep is, and it's not something consistently, it's those nights where I go through the routine and I still can't quite get into that deep sleep. Um, I actually have a, um, <laughs> it started with one of those little packs you get on, on the airplane. I got one from Garuda and it had the eye mask and the, um, and the earbuds in. I'll put those in um, and I sleep like a baby until my alarm goes off, like completely blocking any light in the room. So coming sort of through your blinds or curtains or whatever, there's normally a bit of light that slips through the side. And then ambient noise as well. Um, there's some studies around, obviously, um, perceiving threats within your environment and your brain, and you, particularly the auditory system, is actually listening while you're asleep. So, you know, you hear a bang. It might not actually wake you up. Your sleep tracker will show that you didn't wake up. Um, but it actually just raises you up and down a little bit. When you block your ears, you actually just go, basically, you're in, you're in a coma, which is, um, you know, ideal for sleep. Obviously, not ideal if you have a house fire, but... Um, you know, I try and I, I typically find probably two, three times a month. Um, so what, three out of 30 days, I'll find myself sleeping with both the earplugs and the eye mask. And I always wake up feeling like very, very refreshed. Yeah, no, definitely, man. And like, it's, it's so counterintuitive. And I think everyone, you know, there's a lot of people that are realizing this now in terms of like how important, like your quality of sleep is for boosting energy. So not only like those, you know, doing things that boost your energy as opposed to like going outside of your environment to get a coffee or an energy drink or something like that. Like simple as simple as like, you know, blocking out light in your room um, and meditating when you wake up, like is one of those things that can have a massive impact on your, your amount of energy and your productivity, um, you know, going forward. Well, I, I know that um, I know that you and your family enjoy um, enjoy fine produce. You're probably one of the people that introduced me to fine wine. Um, but I, we've had some very interesting conversations around drinking really, really good coffee, and maybe not drinking as much coffee as well. Yeah. Um, I I personally, uh, it's probably been almost close to you see probably probably close to nine months since I haven't since I cut caffeine out of my um, out of my diet because I found like going to that external energy source was really unsettling me. Um, I know we spoke a couple of months ago and you mentioned that you had taken your, you changed the timing of your caffeine consumption. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I previously used to have, so I used to have three or four coffees a day and like three or four long blacks. Like if anyone, anyone, anyone who drinks like black coffee and knows how much energy that like gives you and how unsettling that actually is. Um, you know, I, I've cut that back down to, you know, I have one coffee pretty much every, maybe every second day, like, and only sort of as I actually feel like the need for the taste of a, a coffee or if I'm going for a, a particular meeting, I'm like, oh, okay, I'll have a, I'll have a coffee. So I, that, cutting out that amount of caffeine in my life has been a real part, um, as well as, you know, being conscious around alcohol consumption, especially being in that space um, on the regular not necessarily cutting out alcohol altogether, but just being conscious around when you're having it and, you know, knowing that that does have an impact on your, your ability to go to sleep. Completely agree with you. Do you use a sleep tracker to track your 
sleep quality at all? Uh, no. So I, I used to use, I used to use Fitbit, um, but since investing in an Apple watch, um, I don't tend to do much sleep tracking, but I, in terms of tracking, I actually try and ensure that I get seven or eight hours a night. Um, I actually you track like, your volume. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's really important, especially, you know, in this whole startup world around like, Oh, pulling all nighters and not getting sleep. Same thing as uni. Um, you know, I think that's is so overrated and like being able to slow down and go, okay, I need eight hours sleep. It's, you know, it's 11 o'clock. If that means I'm not waking up till seven tomorrow, then like, you know, that's what it is kind of thing. So I've also been trying to make sure I have like a, an earlier bedtime, which I think is the, the premise for getting up earlier. Yeah. It's the compromise. It's the compromise. Yeah. You can't stay up watching, you know, rubbish on Netflix <laughs> yeah, for until 1am in the morning anymore. I, I know how you feel. Um, I, the reason I bring up sleep trackers is, um, I have also, I've also cut out alcohol, um, completely from my routine, but the big thing that I've seen there is my sleep quality has just skyrocketed. So any time that I would drink, even when I was minimizing, like I was sort of doing it just on Saturday, yeah. I'd have an, that Saturday night or Sunday morning, I would have awful quality sleep. Um, and I think some of the research that's been done with, um, with the Aura Ring, which is mm. a little ring-based tracker, um, and some of the stuff that, that Aura have been releasing around the impact of alcohol um, on sleep quality is um, is very, very interesting. Um, I encourage anyone who even just enjoys like a, a very like a, a glass of red wine with dinner, which can be encouraged by some med- medical studies. But if you go and look at that impact on your sleep later, would probably say, oh, you know what, we don't, we'll only do that on Saturday or we'll only do that once a week rather than having, you know, one glass a night for, for the whole week because it's, it's huge the amount of impact it has on sleep once you actually start, I guess, recording the data on yourself and how you sleep with and without certain things. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's just, it's just tuning into like tuning into yourself as well. So like even cutting down caffeine, I've also been drinking a lot of like, um, like green based juice, like, you know, kale, kale kind of juices and like, you know, fruit, fruit based diet. And, you know, I know we can talk a bit more about, you know, plant based diets, et cetera. Um, but you know, cutting out some of these things, you ability to tune into your body and understand what your body needs in terms of whether it's sleep or, rest or whatever it is um cutting out some of those external stimuluses or stimuli sorry um can have a profound impact on quality of life i definitely um i definitely agree with you um and a lot of it comes back to a word we used probably in the in the first half of this discussion a lot which was um intuition about really just listening to your body because ultimately end of the day it will tell you what it needs um you know, we can get a lot into diet um, and that's a whole other separate conversation um, that we could sit down and do and spend two hours on that. But um, this week I made a couple of different dietary choices that I normally wouldn't simply based on, on how I was feeling. And I think that's a really important, you know, your body is designed as a neural feedback loop. It's designed to give you feedback. Um, and if you're finding yourself consistently tired during the day, it's telling you that you need, that you need to, at a minimum, increase the volume of your sleep. If that doesn't work, you need to start looking at the quality as well. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, I obviously think it's really great that you've um, cut back on the caffeine and, and obviously alcohol as well, but it's, it's hard. I think the social pressure, um, 
the social pressure is the big hurdle for a lot of people. Um, and you obviously would, you know, would understand that with the networking you do, um, being out and about in that scene must be very difficult. So hats off to you for, for making an active effort and taking control of um, that aspect. Um, to move on very quickly, um, best piece of advice you've been given ever. ever. This is a hard one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Best piece of advice. Like to be, to be honest, I think it's like, I, I don't know if it necessarily think it's like a, a piece of advice, but I think it's, it's actually just self-awareness. I actually think that if you, if you actually scale back everything and you go, what can help you, you know, improve your productivity, quality of life, what you're doing, tuning into meaningful work. Like I think having a sense of self-awareness and just improving the sense of self-awareness is like, is probably the best sort of thing that, you know, I learnt and got given. Um, just being able to, yeah, be aware of who you are and who you want to be, um, I think is, yeah, massive. I think it's, you know, golden advice. Um, best book that you've read in the last year? I know you touched on Robin Sharma before and um, the monk who sold his Ferrari is probably one of my, um, one of my personal favourites. Um, but outside of um, Robin Sharma's work, who have you been reading? You know, what have you really found value in? Um, oh, look, again, like I probably can't emphasise the whole reading thing um, enough like we've talked about. Like you've got so many resources there that um, people have been through, you know, 20, 50 years of experience that you can just go and tap into in a $20 book. Like it's it's amazing. Um, in the last year, I think so. I read You can it, go longer or you yeah. can go longer or shorter or whatever you like. But, I think, I, you think know, the... I don't want to put you on the, uh, <laughs> on the all time kind of question where yeah. you're trolling through every book you've ever read, but something that sort of yeah. stood out recently. I think recently what I, what I read was I actually read a um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. So I don't know. I don't know if you have you read that. I, I haven't read yeah. it, but um, I, it is on the list. I've, yeah. I've been recommended it by. Uh, I've been recommended it by one of my, you know, one of my closest and oldest friends um, in property. It's a book that he loves, um, and I, it's got a it's got a cult following worldwide. Yeah. So I guess like just to give like people a little bit of an overview, like it it talks about his experiences um, in the Nazi concentration camps. Um, with his approach as a psychologist through um, logotherapy. So it, it, it basically kind of goes into the details around how some of these prisoners were able to get through the camps purely because they had a sense of meaning for the suffering that they were going through. And I think that's like, that's been such a really big thing that I've been trying to bring into my life is, you know, the, the downturns and the failures and the, you know, the, the suffering that you go through when you're, you're faced with adversity, I think being able to find meaning in the suffering of things or find meaning in the good, um, in the bad, sorry, um, is, yeah, has, has had a massive impact on, on me. Um, and I think just that the whole book and the way, the way it's written and the way it gives such an example of those concentration camps, um, really puts your life into perspective around, you know, what you think is actually suffering. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's been a really good book. I definitely recommend I guess in some elements to, to summarize, it's probably really that, um, that idea of life is happening for you rather than to you, um, which we can obviously in the midst of a really shitty, um, you know, really shitty position. It obviously varies depending on, you know, where you're positioned in the world. Um, but that, that experience that you're going through ultimately will lead to positive things. If you choose to have a positive mindset. 
yeah, that's it. I think you. I think the fact that you know, come back to self awareness as well is that that you have the choice. Like you have to break down a lot of your ego and your different you know beliefs that don't serve you um, in order to get there. But you ultimately have the choice of how you want to perceive and how you want to act. And like, I think you know, being able to question like, what would your you know ideal self do, and how would your ideal self respond to this situation? I think if people ask themselves that question, I think we come up with a lot of different things that you know and a lot of authentic people again you know um be able to live their life how they want so completely agree with you there um what are you curious about currently what are you sort of exploring researching looking into yeah so this i guess this kind of ties into the um the kind of state of the world at the moment so based on based on my degree so doing economics and psychology i've actually found like a natural love for behavioral economics so like rational rational choices and why is it that um you know for example you know that having that salad is like really good for you but you choose you choose to have the pizza instead or you know that you probably shouldn't buy that you know buy that expensive you know whatever it is but you do it anyway um so things around um like consumer choices and decisions and i guess like the impact that that's having on policy at the moment so you know with the economic stimulus is coming out from the Australian government and, you know, US and a bunch of other governments as well. Um, how are these kind of things going to impact what the choices that are going to be made um, by the by society, I guess, and how people are going to go about it? So even though it's rational for people to, um, to social distance and, like, behave in, you know, have good hygiene and do all the things that are being set as requirements, why is it that people aren't doing those things? So, yeah, I've kind of been able to really tune into back into my love for behavioural economics recently. I'm doing a, another course on it um, at the moment, reading a bunch of books. But it's just fascinating that, you know, as humans, we, we don't always behave in the most rational of ways. Um, and just understanding, and I guess that kind of comes back to self-awareness. Again, if you can understand why, you know, why you're behaving in that way, it, it opens up for growth in a lot of areas. I think people have very different, um, very different brains, and I think we're, we're quite aligned in having a logical, um, pro- quite a logical approach to things. For me, having the answer to why I do something is very important to me, um, and it then becomes the basis in which I can build and I can use my neuroplasticity to change that behaviour or to shift myself into a better habit. But I, I typically find I need to know the why. Um, I think the hardest thing when you're in that position and you obviously view the world from your perspective is having the empathy um, to look at someone else. And there's a whole heap of people out there that have no interest in the why. That doesn't even cross their mind why they're doing something. Um, and that's really, it's obviously very, very interesting. I've, I've delved into it a little bit. I've probably found a little bit, of interest in, um, you know, why does someone say they want to lose weight? Um, and you can say to them, well, you need to, um, okay, you want to lose weight. Great. Go to the gym and eat good. Here's what you should eat. Here's how you should work out. Right. And they come back to you 12 months later and it's the same message. I still want to lose weight. And I said, have you been to the gym? Are you eating good? No, no, I haven't changed anything. Right. And this happens. And then at some point there's a change in the lens in the way that they view the world. Um, and that shift then allows the message at that point to be delivered. Um, you know, people can listen to a podcast. They can, 
you know, buy, they can go to every Tony Robbins course. They can go and watch Gary V speak. Right. And they will do all of this stuff for five years. They'll read every motivational quote and they will do absolutely nothing about anything that they've, they've got all the knowledge in the world, but they're not willing to execute on it. Um, It's something that, something that psychology can't explain yet, but I, you know, I've been very curious about that for a long time. What are some of the things that you're, um, that you're finding, you know, through your interest in, in, um, you know, how the markets, how the markets really work from a psychological perspective um, and how does that interplay back with, with your business and what you guys are doing at, at Slide and Nom Nom? Yeah. So, I, yeah, I guess it's, it's, it's really fascinating to try and understand why, you know, why people are doing things. And also like from a personal point of view, like why you do certain things as you touched on, I think it's more important than ever with the amount of advertising we're also paced with. Like you said, you're a really informed you know, buyer, I think we're hit with so much content and just understanding exactly, you know, what the product is that we're buying into. And are we buying into that image of the, you know, the fit looking person, you know, or are we actually buying the product that we want to use that's going to meet the need? So I think from that point of view as well, it also helps us trying to navigate, you know, a market where there's been different, you know, different apps in the past, especially with Nom Nom as well, from a hospitality point of view, where there's been so many different apps and et cetera, et cetera, like that's been going on. It's kind of working out, well, okay, how can I then build something that is actually going to meet the needs of these people at this level? That's not, someone's not just going to buy and not, not know what they're going to do, but they actually believe in the product. Cause I think as you sort of touched on before with the, you know, the employee share plans and people buying into culture, I think it's important to have your customers buy into your business and why you do it and not just do it for a, from a vanity point of view of, you know, oh, it's marketed with this, you know, this exclusivity thing. So I think for me, in terms of slide, I think it's really important to navigate this space to actually build a, a product that's going to, you know, that's going to have a strong why and purpose behind it. I think that's a very, um, <laughs> it's a very good answer. It's a very good insight. Um, I guess what I've been picking up from you generally as we've spoken, obviously we touched on self-awareness. Um, we talked about having a higher purpose for your um, your businesses. And then obviously we, we just touched on you actually going back and, and doing a course in something that you're interested in and sort of extending your knowledge base through, I guess, formal learning. Um, a lot of people um, our age, um, around 24, 25, um, a little bit younger, a little bit older, um, the overwhelming message I see, you know, through social platforms is people struggling um, with direction. Um, I'm not I'm not going to suggest for a minute that, that you have it all worked out and that you know exactly where you're going. But um, how do you sort of apo- approach the question of um, of direction? What does that look like for you? Um, you know, is it something that you consider or is it something where you just action your, your day by day and you live in the moment and sort of the rest takes, you know, the, the universe looks after the rest, if you like. Yeah, so I, I guess on, on, the whole, on the whole purpose thing, I think having a good you know, a strong sense of purpose and like a mission for why, why you're doing things and having that vision for what you're doing is really important because it it kind of does allow you to play that, that, um, that long game. I think from like a direction point of view, um, like everyone, everyone has their own, their own journey and, you know, not for a second that I'm going to go, Oh, my journey is right. And this direction is the right way that you should go and you should go and start your own business. You can go and do that. Um, but I think for, for me personally, it's kind of like, this is my purpose right now. And I think sometimes 
people think that and it's often conveyed that purpose is this one thing that has to be you know this is your purpose and this is how it stays for the rest of your life for the rest of your days like work that out and everything is fixed um but i don't necessarily think that's the case i think you kind of have a a purpose now and I think that that evolves you know over time and that it's okay not to know that full purpose or where you want to exactly end up I think having an idea of you know sort of where you want to go and why you want to go there is important but I don't think you have to have it all figured out because I think as well if there's a strong purpose around why you want to do something you know by all means go and try it like go and try that go and try that course or go and try that business like if it doesn't work it doesn't work so I think you know, lack of direction, I think, sometimes comes with, like, with a lot of fear. Like, you know, being able to break down fear and go, okay, you know, if I didn't have fear and I wasn't concerned about failing, you know, what would I do? And then being able to follow that direction and know that that direction can evolve. So even where the state of the world is right now, like, you know, you couldn't have, you had told me, you had told me two years ago that a lot of clubs and events would be closed because of some virus that was, you know, that was going around, you probably wouldn't have believed it. Um, but so there are certain things in your path and your direction that you can't control. So I think it's, yeah, I think having a good sense of like your vision and why you're doing things now, but I don't think you necessarily have to have it all figured out. There's a really good quote and I need to look up who actually has said it. Um, but it speaks about, uh, walking <laughs> the, the, horizon is I think typically about eight miles away um so as far as you can see about 16 kilometers and it was like um walk to the horizon and then you'll see where you're going um and I think it's a really good way to look at um you know sort of what you're saying is if you know really around what you're doing today and right now in this moment you're like great I'm building slide this is where we want to go this is the direction we want to take things um then you build it out to that point and then once you're at that point you'll see What's next? Yeah, I think that the other the other side to that, especially with a with a product, and it comes back to business again, is that you still need to be adaptable and still willing to pivot your product and pivot your business, pivot your vision to suit the needs of your customers. So I think like that's one thing for us as well as like you know you can have this vision about this queue skipping app that's going to work, it's going to be really cool, but you know if we didn't if we weren't adaptable on that journey, we wouldn't have come up with the full solution for the nightlife industry that was going to solve venue problems as well, you know, from an efficiency point of view, um, just as well as solving the customer pain points. So I think, yeah, it is important to remain adaptable and like, yeah, just don't get too, don't get too locked in, but, you know, just adapt your vision and revisit your vision and purpose. Like as, you know, as you go on in your morning routine or whenever it is. Do you think being able to pivot is in your opinion um, the most important thing in, I guess, business and life? Yeah, I think... That's a really difficult yeah, question. Certain, but... Yeah, I think, like, to a certain extent, like, so, like, being adaptable, I think, is really important. Like, from a, from a society person point of view, like, from a human perspective, like, humans need to be adaptable in order to survive. Like, I think that's just, that's just the way of life. But we're even facing at the moment, like, in order to be adaptable with work and your ability to get things done in different environments and different economic environments, I think is, you know, is really important. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely something to, to think about. I think pivoting in business is really, really important, being able to think fast and make quick decisions as well. Um, 
Yeah, no, definitely one of the more important things. Yeah, I guess just a trend I saw emerging across our um, our discussion was that ability to adapt and respond to the situation at hand and actually be fearless in the ability to say, okay, we were going, you know, we were going north and now we're going to go east and you just pivot and you move and you go um, and you sort of end up there and you work through that. Just as with meditation, you might sit down to do a guide you're two minutes into the guided meditation, you're like, I hate this person's voice. They're doing my head in this morning and you just switch it and you go into doing, um, you know, maybe it's silent or maybe you've got music and just having that adaptability, but still sticking to your, your processes and your rituals and your routines will give you, you know, you've got integrity in your process. So you know that you'll be successful. Um, but also knowing that you can apply that to, you know, wherever you need to go on that, you know, that given day or in that given moment. Yeah. And I think like even, you know, across everything, I think it's, it's being able to take, like, it's taking out the judgment that like, this is the right direction. This is, you know, the, you know, being a real stickler, so this is the way it should go. Um, and then taking out the fear of like, oh, if it doesn't go to plan, then it's not right. And then I don't get there. Like, I think being able to break down those kinds of things will allow you to then be adaptable. Cause I don't know if, you know, some people can necessarily be adaptable if you're trapped in, in your own mind. Yeah. How do you deal with both the positive and the negative uh, feedback and how do you, I guess, not let that penetrate your mindset and, you know, continue moving on your journey towards your, I guess, goal or your, you know, your path? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, just remaining authentic to yourself and what you want to do and why you're doing things um, is really important. I think if you, if you're able to do that and you're able to, you know, stay true to yourself, then, you don't really think about what other people think. Like it's just a thought. It actually can't really do anything to you. Um, yeah. I think it's very good advice. It's sort of a little bit of that, um, the, the sticks and stones will break your bones kind of theory is it's just someone else's thought and someone else's opinion. Um, and really at the end of the day, it's your own mindset that, that is the most important. Um, if you could step into my shoes right now, uh, what question would you ask yourself that I haven't? Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I think one one thing that I would touch on would be, I guess, sort of how do you juggle um, competing priorities? So I know for a lot of people who have, you know, who have gone on and done another business after starting one or doing two concurrently and have multiple things going on, um, that that can be quite quite a challenge. And in the past, you know, especially during uni days, I did kind of struggle with being able to juggle competing priorities. Um, but I think that that comes down to, I guess, you know, self-discipline and, again, the why around why you're doing certain things, um, you know, because if you're clear on, you know, why you're doing certain things, you know, things like procrastination and those kind of things become obsolete in that you know you have a clear reason for all the things that you're doing and if you've got self-discipline and providing yourself with a degree of structure that works for you um yeah i think that's something that you know people kind of can kind of have a look at and finding systems and ways to get yourself to do some of the the hard jobs especially from a, a small business point of view like especially when you're only in it you know there's only two of you in it like someone's got to do the crappy jobs so, you know, um, being able to, you know, structure that in a way, like doing them early, really early in the morning, like I do, um, get them out of the way and just kind of playing around with those structures that work for you. 
do you have a, I guess, a fixed structure? I know a lot of um, productivity specialists talk about, you know, having three big things that you achieve during the day um, and not sort of crowding out your to-do list. When you sit down for that, those four hours in the morning, um, how's your structure sort of work? Do you, do you minimise the amount of tasks you do? Obviously, you mentioned that you sort of try and hit the ones first that are the most energy-consuming. Um, how's, that, how's that process look, I guess, to give people a little bit more strategy on working around competing, um, you know, competing interests? What, what strategy do you use when you sit down in those four hours to maximise your productivity but also not overwhelm yourself as well? Yeah, so definitely on the on the three thing, I'm I'm a massive advocate for like picking three things and saying, you know, throughout the day, if I get these three things done, then I've I've, I've won the day essentially, because um, like yeah, kind of setting those setting those things up so that you're not you're not drowning in you know endless tasks that have to be done, but you can actually increase your chances of feeling like you've won and you've achieved something because that also builds momentum um i've also recently moved to actually turning my phone on do not disturb for pretty much majority of the day as you'll probably be aware of trying to get a hold of me a few times like i haven't answered straight away but i've actually called back instantly because like my phone's actually sits on do not disturb especially in those four hours because those four hours are the time when i'm focusing on you know i'm focusing on building what i need to do to get done and then i'm dealing with you know external parties and it's not like um, you know, it's not like I hate people and I want to distance myself from people, but I find that actually helps me focus. I'm not picking up my phone and going and looking at socials, especially when, you know, we're doing a lot of social selling and things like that as well. So it's, it's, it's just setting those conditions up for your best productivity, I guess. I think there's some excellent points. I think the phone thing's massive. Um, I'm really big on not using my phone during my morning routine. I try and minimize my screen time. Um, I use a few apps that I have to log into, but I, I strictly won't look at so. Do you have any strange vices or habits, Josh? We obviously talked about David Attenborough documentaries um, before, but anything else that um, you do that's a little bit, uh, people would find maybe a little bit strange? Yeah. Um, so the, the one thing is actually funny story about working in the office. So we've had a, like a shared office space for a while. Um, the thing that I like to do is I actually like to, when I'm doing those four hours in the morning, I actually, I actually put a hood on and I actually put my noise cancelling headphones on. So sometimes I have a hat, a hood and noise cancelling headphones on and I'm actually like completely blocked out to the world. But from the outside looking, it actually looks like a really weird thing to do. And anyone who actually knows me and like knows how much I love like fashion and you know actually you know putting on a putting on a nice blazer and doing those kinds of things to see me for the first four hours in the morning with like a hat hoodie and a noise cancelling headphones on i've got some weird books from different people who walk here around the office especially some of the receptionists coming past and going just like what what are you doing and you're like some kind of different different species so yeah that's probably the one thing externally that um that people might see if they were hanging around me early in the morning when i'm trying to get stuff done (laughs) I think it's uh, I think it's pretty amusing, but obviously something effective and, and works for you. Um, to sort of wrap up, um, obviously um, slide apps online uh, in the App Store um, or uh, the Google Play Store. Um, but whereabouts can our listeners find you online? Yeah, so me online. So um, on Instagram at at Josh Telf T E L F. Um, online and then yeah slide online instagram as well at slide.au um good to keep up with um different offers and promotions that we have coming up as well so 
Great. Well, thank you for your time. Um, I think that we've uh, covered a lot of uh, excellent points today. It's been great to hear about your story and your journey so far. Um, I look forward to, um, to catching up with you um, shortly and we can see how um, everything's gone and as we come out the other side of everything that's happening in the world at the moment um, and hopefully, um, you know, have a, you know, a great chat about the success story that Slide and, and Nom Nom have been having through a very difficult period. So good luck with everything. It's obviously going to be a tough period for a lot of people. Um, but hopefully, uh, hopefully, as you've discussed today, that there's a lot of silver linings for you and you, you and your businesses. And I wish you all the best. Thanks, mate. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's um, it's been great to have a, a nice chat and cover off um, a lot of different stuff. But yeah, no, looking forward to catching up with you soon as well, mate. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Radio by Jack Roberts. If you would like to keep up to date with our high-performance guests, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me online at Jack Roberts 8 on Instagram and Jack Roberts on LinkedIn.